Welcome to episode 515 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with New York City director, writer, cabaret critic, Jerry Geddes. We talk with Jerry from his home in Harlem, New York, about springtime, New York City coming back, Reeve Carney, the intimacy of a cabaret, gay politics, the Warhol crowd, and take a walk on the wild side. He was friends with Holly, drag queens versus transsexuals, Rand Paul versus RuPaul, and German chocolate, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Jerry Geddes this go-round. We also have an EWSA titled Steadfast. We share two pieces published in the March 2023 issue of Harper's Magazine. The first is called Worst Responders, from a disciplinary report by the Denver Fire Department. The other is a poem by Korean poet Lim Solon, titled, What Songs Do. And we have an E.W. poem called Caravan. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 515 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Miami FLA Hitchhiked away across USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey, take a walk on the wild side Everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go Do 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 here and a hustle there New York City is the place where they said hey babe take a walk on the wild side I said hey Joe 
take a walk on the wild side. Sugar Pump Fairy came and hit the streets, looking for soul food and a place to eat. Went to the Apollo, you should have seen him go, go, go. They said, hey, sugar, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. All right. Huh. Jackie is just speeding away. Thought she was James Dean for a day. Then I guess she had to crash. Valium would have helped that fashion. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side. And the colored girls say, do, 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 Steadfast, lamenting and cementing the reasons in my head as the seasons full of dreams and opinions from the kings, queens, and certifiable minions bask freely in the sun-shower rain until they supply sustenance to my lifelong worrisome brain. And the singer sings another song in the cabaret cave, its phrases and story just barely audible to the mercy ringing solemn in my soul, deeper and deeper beyond my control. This fair mystery with true love just out of reach and the corporal punishment quickly reminds me of the impotence of the breach. Hallelujah, the angel men and women wannabes sing from a balcony. Faceless-robed bishops, cardinals, and entry-level clerics call for your pain and allegiance. How does one tell their children to live within and among this, how does anyone have a chance to figure it out with virtue and love? We must be here despite the wayward advance. Perhaps it is clear at a second or third glance. Transform your fear into perseverance. 
It must be about work fueled with soul, heart, and a steady romance.
Hello. Jerry Geddes, is that you? It is I. Oh, it's so nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again, sir. Yes, I'm happy to be back. It's been a while. It has been. It has been. And uh, for those who have not had the pleasure of hearing us speak with Jerry in the past, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a New York City-based director, writer, cabaret critic, and activist, among other things. And we're going to talk with him today about uh, a lot of the things he's doing and experiencing and what's on his mind. So where are we talking with you from today? Where are you, where are you sitting? I'm in my apartment in Harlem. Excellent. Excellent. How's the weather there today? Um, nice. We had a little snow yesterday, but nothing much. It's been a mild winter for the most part. So It's feeling very spring-like, which is good because I'm working on my new show, which is called Spring Can Really Cheer You Up the Most. <laughs> <laughs> I love the title. Yes. <laughs> and uh, is is that something you're going to put on at the cabaret or... At Pangea, yeah, it's part of my fabulous first Fridays. Although this one is going to be on the second Friday because of booking constraints, but uh, yes, it's going to be fun. My usual family of singers coming and doing numbers, and I'll be telling stories from my book. So, excellent. Yeah, we're going to get April in... April fourteenth. April fourteenth. April fourteenth. Yes. So it's a one one night only. Or is that yeah, just I a... do a, I do a monthly show. So right. this is this month's show. Uh, usually. It becomes a whole new show the next month, but for the past few months, we've had a tremendous success with a show called The Celebration of Jimmy Webb. So we ended up bringing that back a couple of months and took a break from the, the new shows. Uh, and I love championing him because he's one of my favorite songwriters. I know. I know. He and Sondheim are at the top. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's great. That's a great list, short list. And we got a great compliment. His wife came to see the show. Jimmy was sick. Uh, having this bronchitis kind of thing that people had over the last few months mm -hmm. that I had myself. but um, So he couldn't make it, but uh, she and part of her family came. And afterwards, she came up to me and said that it was the best version of By the Time I Get to Phoenix she'd ever heard. So that was mm. very flattering and very humbling and very nice for her to say. So yeah, she's that, been very supportive. That's beautiful. That's, a nice, that's an excellent compliment. And now Pangea, yeah. for people to understand, that's in the village, uh, right? Yes, it's a little jewel box of a cabaret in the East Village. It's it's a destination spot. You have to kind of want to go there. But it's uh, Second Avenue between 11th and 12th Street. Excellent. And there's an excellent restaurant in the front, and you go through to this small but elegant and well-situated room in the back. And uh, it's like a home away from home for me. It's It's one of my favorite clubs in the city. And a lot of uh, great performers come through those doors, right? People that are on Broadway, people that uh, who just want a more yes. intimate sort of setting. A cabaret, as we've talked about in the past, is a is a specific, unique sort of uh, venue. Yes, it's um, this one in particular has a very eclectic and adventurous lineup of performers. They'll have. Performance artists from the Lower East Side, they'll have Broadway people, they'll have a poet will come in and do something. I do some of my stories with singers. Uh, it's one of the few places left that has a holdover from the golden age of cabaret where you can go to the space and be reasonably assured that you're going to see something worth seeing. You don't have to know what's there. Most places you don't want to kind of hazard in blindly. Are we... I hear music playing. Is that? 
That's not me, I don't think. Oh. Is that just in your head? Are you hearing music in your head? No, I'm <laughs> odd. But you have a party line? Do you is, hear is, it on your end? No, I do not. Okay, that's very odd. Can you hold for one second? I'm sorry. No, hold sure, on. sure. There, it's gone. <laughs> it, it was I'm a not couple... having a breakdown, I promise you. There was music, but... <laughs> There are worse things you could be hearing. There be there are worse things. Was it good music at least? It 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 might be a rival club just trying to stop me from talking about Pangea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you get me to wondering about your experience regarding uh, how New York City might be Manhattan in particular might or might not be coming back in terms of you know offerings art artistic and. Um, you know, restaurant all that sort of thing is it is it coming it is back still it is still coming back i don't know whether it's ever going to come back to what it was but it's definitely coming back um there is still there's still a hesitation among a lot of people for going out into crowds it's just that's part of life now and uh so it's not like a tsunami of people coming back but it's it's gradually growing I know Broadway is doing well at the moment and movie theaters are doing well and cabarets are picking up. Uh, I think the COVID and all of that nightmare came at a, a crucial time for performing arts in the city because it, it was already becoming a bit fragile because of changes in the music industry and just in the, in the audiences that they're, frame of reference and their uh, ability to pay attention and their uh, just knowledge of the arts has been on the downswing uh, partially because of our horrendous political system and partially just because of the, uh, the rise of internet and streaming and being able to isolate yourself into a bubble of what you want to see and not be exposed to new things yeah, and, and a general lack of critical thinking on most people's parts when it comes to music, art, politics, or anything else. Uh, so it's it at the time when some people could have flourished, everything shut down for a year and a half. So it 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 really stifled a lot of artistic expression, and that's gradually coming back as well. But I don't think it's coming back as fast as it should or could. Yeah, or if it, as you said earlier, if it ever will totally, you know, come back to that same level. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, I agree with you. There were problems before the pandemic, given the cultural direction we're, we're taking in this country. Yes. Uh, but, you know... I mean, to be really basic about it, I saw a very good singer uh, the other night. Um, uh, his name is Reeve Carney. You might have heard of him. He's the star of Hades Town on Broadway mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. And he played Spider-Man in the notoriously failed Spider-Man musical that you two wrote for Broadway. And he did an evening of tributes to divas of Broadway. But it was as if, bear with me on this, try to imagine this. It was as if Jimi Hendrix and Robert Plant did a Sondheim tribute album. He he's an incredibly talented and adventurous rock guitarist. He has a voice that that shatters glass practically in the Robert Plant way. But he has this incredible taste in music and this incredible delivery and phrasing. He opened with the ladies who lunch done 
in a way I've never heard before. And it was spectacular. But even for this show, when he would hit a note, people would applaud like it was a gymnast doing a jump. Mm. They were not they they removed themselves from the experience of the story and were just experiencing the outer presentation of his voice. And that was enough for them. But it's not enough for me. I, and he has much more going on. And I wanted the audience to be as moved as I was by the storytelling he was doing. But they were more interested in the gymnastics, however electrifying they might be. I hear you. I, I have oftentimes when I go to live performances, uh, I think people applaud too much, too often, instead of just sitting there taking it yes. all in. It, it, well, I it think, breaks it up too. You know, it gets yeah. it gets in the way. Well, I think part of it is part of this. Not to be anti-internet on every level, but part of it is everybody wants to be a part of the experience rather than to take the art of the experience into their lives. And they they want to jump in and be the first one to hoop and holler and to applaud because that puts them in the in the piece. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's true in many things, but particularly in concert and, and live cabaret performance. And, you know, in a cabaret, I think, and you know this better than me, so you'll correct me if I'm misunderstanding you don't want all those kinds of distractions too much from the audience, right? Because it's supposed. Oh, it's to... absolutely. It's true. It's it's more. It's more harmful there, because in a, in a concert hall, or in a in Madison Square Garden, it's so tumultuous anyway that there's noise and everything happening. But in the intimacy of a cabaret, it can be as quiet as a as a whisper, and you don't want someone cheering to put themselves in the middle of the art that you're trying to experience. And it, but they're, but people are oblivious to that. It's so hard not to sound, from my hand at least, uh, condescending or impatient with my fellow citizens in these contexts because I often do think we're becoming less and less cultured, and we don't know how to behave. We don't, we don't know how to have have patience with a peace. Uh, as and as you say, we want to be like we want to just throw ourselves as if we're part of it rather than sit back and take it all in. And I, I don't think that's good for us. No, I don't think it's good either, but I think it's true and it's very indicative of, of our entire lives, not just as an audience or in performance or in the arts, but all over the place in politics and everything else. And it comes to a really bothersome conclusion when, I think we've talked about this a bit in the past, but one of my observations of what's happening with audiences is they're wanting to embrace mediocrity rather than accomplishment. Mm -hmm. They want to see people on stage that are at the level that they are at. Whereas when I see somebody, I want to be completely knocked out by something that I could never do. And when it comes to politics, I want someone who knows a whole lot more about international affairs and about economics and about political structures to be making the decisions and helping to run the country. I don't want someone that in the traditional thing where I want to have a beer with them at a barbecue. I don't care about that. I want someone who knows what they're doing and the level of intelligence that is missing now from Congress in particular is, is just shocking and (laughs) scary. (laughs) I hear you. My my wife and I have these conversations all the time. It filters all the way through to every aspect of, you know, books, music, movies theater it's all there's a whole common denominator culture that is harmful to the arts i think and i know i'm i'm remembering back to when i was a teenager and my parents 
shaking their heads and saying, how can you listen to that junk when I was listening to the Beatles and listening to people like that? So I'm be- I, I know I sound a bit like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets sitting in their little <laughs> box talking about the new generations. But I think it's it's definitely a, 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 simple, a symptom and an example of a, a negative turn that culture has taken. Yeah, driven yeah. by capitalism and... All of that, you know, sort of vanity and, and narrow-mindedness, I think. Yes. Uh, um, now, I wanted to get into some of the really interesting people over the years, because you're an interesting person, you've hung out with. And I know that this is going to lead into your book. Uh, you're working on a book. You, you uh, recently uh, heard that you have someone who wants to publish it. It's, it's going to be published, yes. It's going to be out in fall, early fall, hopefully. And, and uh, uh, it's a memoir? It's a memoir of my life in the city from 1967 to 1995. And in reading the book, you would, it will become apparent why those are the beginning and end years of this particular volume of my memoirs. Uh, 1967 is when I arrived in New York to go to Columbia University at a very tumultuous time with the anti-war movement and politics boiling over in most places in the country. And then moved on to work at the public theater during uh, Joe Papp's reign with a chorus line and hair and other things happening for the first time. And then from that, going off into becoming a writer for a couple of magazines and becoming politically involved with both gay politics and regular politics in New York City, and then leading into the AIDS crisis and dealing with that on a personal and a political level. So it covers a lot of things, and it, at times it may seem a bit like I'm zealot just walking through and meeting all these other people. Uh, Hmm. I think I mentioned to you at one point, maybe not on air, but uh, there's a song uh, called take a walk on the wild side, Lou Reed. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the Warhol crowd is mentioned in the lyrics of that song. And it had its 50th, I believe anniversary this year. And in thinking about it, I posted online because it occurred to me, that I'm old enough and have been around enough that I met everybody who's mentioned in that song. That's cool. <laughs> in the nightlife of New York. You mentioned Holly in particular. In particular. Well, Holly, Holly I became closer to than some of them. We actually worked together on a couple of projects that never really came to fruition, but we would hang out and go for drinks. And She was a character and a, a wonderful New York person. You said she's, she was fragile? Is that what I remember? Did you say? She, she was... She had a fragility and a strength, both, but the fragility was part of it. And I think that's what came across on camera was a kind of sympathetic waif in the midst of being an outrageous drag queen. And that combination really worked for the camera. And so she, there was a big talk, big talk of her being nominated for an Oscar for a movie she did with Joe D'Alessandro. And she did off-Broadway theater. And it was at a time when kind of off-the-wall surreal Broadway theater, like shows with titles like Women Behind Bars that starred Divine in a role she was born to play as a prison, a prisoner in a women's prison. Uh, so there was there was an electricity and a let's put on a show from people who were very talented, and so it was a great thing to see. And, and Holly, she was trans? Uh, no. No, she, oh, transvestite, not transsexual. Okay, that that that's something that is blurring more and more as we 
go on in this tumultuous time right now. Well, let's clarify. I mean, a transvestite is more about the way... Well, the traditional drag queen you you hear about is someone who dresses as a woman and performs as a woman. Right, but is still not... not, uh, But but not not physically changed or biologically changed. Right, and that would be a transsexual. Yes. And there's a kind of middle ground of, of some, like a partial transition which is still considered transsexual. But um, I, I wanted, since we're talking about this, I, I just parenthetically, I'd, since so many of ridiculous amount of laws passed against trans <laughs> medical and oh. educational areas, uh, I think in the history of, of, of hate in this country, there was a time when I, in the 50s, in the Cold War era, when Russia and communism were the big bugaboo that fueled mostly financially, but somewhat politically and ideologically, the right. And they could raise money from being anti-communist, coming to fruition in the horrible uh, McCarthy era and all of that. Mm -hmm. But once Russia, the Soviet Union fell apart, they needed someone new. And they tried for a while, and, and it continues, obviously, with with the black culture, because that trading it on racism and all of that. And then when that became more socially acceptable and equality, and it's never going to be equal, but the equality began to grow, they turned to gay life. They turned to LGBT. Uh, and when that became acceptable with marriage and with everybody knowing somebody or having someone in their family or a neighbor or a teacher who was gay, they realized that that was no longer marketable, that hate. So now they focused on trans. Right. Because, because there's a very physical demarcation that you can see. There's no masking someone who embraces that. And so that it's an open target. And it's playing on a kind of deeper set homophobia than the anti-gay movement that preceded it how so and i uh, well it's it's they are in all of the the anti-gay movement there there was not a prevalent feeling of it being inhuman or demonic which is how they're categorizing it now for the trans culture right basically saying they're 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 sick and crazy yes exactly more so than they ever did with with uh, uh, with lesbians and gays, and so I think it's playing to a deep seated sense of other, and this is kind of more other than the others at the moment. And so the right and Republicans and hate mongers are using it as basically an ultimately dangerous grift to raise money because they're scaring people into both into violence and into donating money for causes that shouldn't exist in the first place. Right, right. And, and when you think about the gay community in this country, they, they have become powerful, too. So yes. if you want to go against a powerful community, that's not wise if you're a politician. Uh, right. And, and that, that might be why they kind of relented a bit, too, besides the fact yes. that m- people accept it more so. Well, partially, partially that comes from the power as well. So, I mean, that, that's all interrelated. 
I think. Yeah, and, but yeah. I think it's also, as you said, every community, every family knows good people, normal yes. people who have a sexual orientation that is LGBTQ. Yes. You know, so it's hard to demonize that. Yeah. Whereas folks who are trans um, sexual or drag queens, I think that is for most folks an odder sort of uh, way. And not to say that that is justified to think well, that, but I yeah. think it's easier to cast those folks as, as being the and other, they, as you said, the other other. They, but they've also gotten very good on their side of demonizing in another way of always bringing up pedophilia and always bringing mm. up grooming of children because mm. that makes it even more exacerbated in the minds of people who don't know any better. Right. And they used to do that with, with gays too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Gay, yes. You, that equal, every pedophile was yes. gay, you know, which yes. is totally inaccurate. One of my favorite memes on, on Facebook right now is I'd rather have my child looked after by RuPaul than Rand Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Very yes. Much. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh boy so i mean are we going to transcend this uh sort Hopefully, of part of our but, hate uh, part of my my, my optimistic my optimistic side thinks that perhaps this is going to backfire in ways they that the right doesn't even realize because they're going to mobilize in a way that wasn't mobilized before because they are being so violent and so outrageous and and actually in their hubris of thinking that this hate is going to be politically viable for them, they are in a way doing some of the work of which activists, you, you flatter me by giving me that name because I, I'm act, I, I, there should be a, a kind of limbo of activism versus non-activism because I, I am, but I, I, it did, did not become my life but I am just in general activist when it comes to politics. But anyway, um, I think they've underestimated their, the power of their hate by really making the point that it's all one battle. If one person's not equal and free, no one is. Right. So they're going to, because of the, the con confluence of the anti Roe v. Wade and the black lives matter and the trans hate and the anti-LGBT marriage and all of that, it's, it's making them come together in ways that they didn't on their own or this revolution would have been over a long time ago. When you say making them come together, who's Make, making, the, making all of those others right. over the years are now realizing that... There's a commonality. It, yes. It's that phrase of if they came for them, they came for them, and then they came for me, but exacerbated to a, you know, tsunami of hate at this point and so i think it's going to organize and revitalize a political movement that's going to be bigger than they're expecting i'm I'm hoping that's my optimistic view of it i hope you're right as well you know i mean i i think one of the problems often is people who live in a vacuum a homogenous community they're more susceptible to all of these fear tactics right because they don't yeah. know the real people once you meet real yeah. people real good people most people are good i think you know if if they're yeah. not abused and, and 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 castigated out so that they get miserable or weird if you're constantly bombarded with hate and exclusion i think that's going to make you a little bit maybe odd in the way that you carry yourself it's it's abuse right if you're abused yeah. enough you you become 
unhealthy in the way that you ca- you carry yourself, and 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 that oftentimes is what occurs in those homogenous communities. But yeah. people who are and- left to feel comfortable with just who they are, uh, they end up being, uh, you know, happy and and uh, yeah. pleasant to be around. And and now you can't say, well, that person's no good. Yeah. But in those homogenous communities, those folks either are driven out or made to feel like freaks, and thus they act like them, perhaps, because they're abused so much. Well, I don't know if that's making any sense, but it's a, it's a very... It, it makes sense. I, I will say two things. One, the pessimistic side of me, which has been growing over the last eight years, 10 years, 20 years, is that there are fewer good people than I imagined as I was growing up. You mean generally there, across I'm the board? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that this is America at the moment. I'm shocked at the numbers of people who are un-American right now. Yeah. And yeah, I hear you. Uh, it's, it's, it's depressing. It, it's also invigorating to want to fight against it, but it's depressing to realize that it's there. And then the other side is we have a homogenous community that's being fueled by networks and by computer lies algorithms and ai and and also that you know literally there's fox news and all of its devil children uh shaping an entire community that never goes outside of that community right so it's able to be organized in a disorganized way, but in a more powerful way than I think it's ever been before in America. Anyway, we've seen it happen in other places, but not here. And that's, that's really dangerous. And to hear, as we talked earlier, the level of ignorance, but also the level of hate just said out loud on the floor of Congress is, is a, is an outward sign of an infection and a toxicity that's really deep in America right at the moment. Right. If people feel so comfortable in, in acting and saying those terrible things in yes. public. Because yeah. they're reinforcing themselves. Each each of them is reinforcing the other. Right. And Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hear you about being cynical. I do. And I, I guess what I'm saying is you go way, 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 way back. I'm hoping before all of the negative influences and messages that we we uh, experience as we spend more time on the planet. Before all that happens, we have such potential to be beautiful individuals. And oh, absolutely. That, and yes. it's lost along the way, unless you're incredibly yes. fortunate and or incredibly strong. Yes. In terms of what you experience, right, and how you yes. experience it, and then that—that's the—that's the optimistic, and both, I guess, I—I'm I, optimistic and with the potential. But when I see what re- realistically occurs over lifespan, at least my own, at least what I've witnessed, oftentimes people just get lost, you know, and they and they they don't do what is best for themselves or for the community, right. So I don't know. I guess the art—the arts can help us, and that's. And talking Absolutely, activism, on a number of levels. Yeah, yeah. And uh, man, we're just about out of time, Jerry. Do you want to say a couple things about the Bistro Awards before we sure. wrap up? Yes, on April seventeenth at Gotham Comedy Club here in Manhattan. Every year we give out awards for excellence in cabaret, and this year is no 
exception. And this year I'm directing it fully from beginning to end, which is a new thing for me. Congrats. I did a virtual one during COVID, but I'm very excited about it. The lineup is great. And uh, it's going to be a terrific show. You can go on to Facebook, Instagram, or anyplace else and put in Bistro Awards or just Google Bistro Awards and all the information will come up. Uh, it's it's going to be a terrific show. It's not a competition. The awards are already announced. So it's just a night of joy and celebration for art. And it's great. And there's great singers involved. Uh, some of whom will be performing around town outside of the actual awards at the same time to continue the celebration. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, the book is called, my book, keep you on the other side of my artistic endeavors at the moment, is called Didn't I Ever Tell You This? And it's coming out uh, hopefully in September, but early fall in any event. And it's from premium book publishers. And uh, I'm very excited about it. It's my first book. I am too. I'm excited and about it too. I spoke to you. I'm halfway through my first novel as well. Oh, you're writing a novel now as well? Yes, a vampire novel. So. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking before the memoir comes out in uh, in the fall. And, we, and you can Great. give us some updates. And uh, uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Jerry. I it's really always a pleasure it. talking to you, too. I agree. And it always goes by way too fast. Way too fast. Yeah. Hopefully, my wife and I can come out to uh, Pangea and see one of your, your fabulous uh, First Friday events. Yeah, as I said, out. it's usually the first Friday of every month, but this particular month it's going to be the second Friday. Well, and then actually in May, one quick, quick thing, my birthday on May 23rd. I have nothing to do with this except I'm going to be in the audience, but uh, a particular performer who's been in some of my shows and I've worked with named Sumatsuki is putting together two shows that night at Pangea to celebrate my birthday oh. with, with guests from various shows that I've directed over the years. And what's the date again? It's May 23rd. There's going to be a seven o'clock show and a nine 30 show at Pangea. And, uh, I'm very excited about it because I know nothing other than who's going to be there. It's going to have a great cast in both show, different cast on each show. And Sue, who is a great cook is making German chocolate cake for everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to make that show. Okay, I think that, that that will replace my show in May. I told her that I wouldn't do mine so that she could do hers. So so it's going to celebrate my 74th birthday. Oh, excellent. Uh, three quarters of a century. Yes. Just I about. Know. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing what you, what you uh, have on your mind and in your heart today. It's, it's always a pleasure. I couldn't help getting up on the soapbox. I'm glad you got up there with me. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, we'll talk soon. Take care, Jerry. All right, you too. Bye-bye.
for you something called Worst Responders, published in the March 2023 edition of Harper's Magazine. It's from a disciplinary report produced by the Denver Fire Department in October of 2022. Engine 19 of the Denver Fire Department responded to support Denver Police Department officers on a welfare check. One of the police officers entered the residence, came out, and stated that the individual smelled of decomposition, saying, quote, You do not need to go inside. She is obviously dead, end quote. To obtain a pronouncement of death from the hospital, firefighter Marshall Henry described the patient's condition as being in an advanced state of death despite knowing that he had not personally performed a primary assessment on the patient. The doctor asked clarifying questions, and firefighter Henry deliberately misrepresented himself as having performed a patient assessment. Firefighter Henry stated that when the doctor asked those questions, he realized he messed up. The police officer later re-entered the residence and shone his flashlight on the patient's face when he observed her head, quote, twitching. He said, Guys, I'm really sorry. I walked in to clear the house, and when I was near her, she moved her head. The patient was, in fact, alive. Firefighter Henry stated that he should have gone and checked for a pulse. Quote, I will never trust what a cop says again. 
And here is a poem published in the same issue of Harper's Magazine, March 2023, titled What Songs Do, by Lim Sola from Grotesque Weather and Good People, which was published in June 2022 by Black Ocean. It's translated from the Korean by Olin Munson and Oh Unkyung, and it goes like this. Thinking of people makes us avoid them. I think we should even avoid we. Straw spews out when we speak and becomes a straw doll. You left this behind, she said. The girl picked up a mirror that I'd thrown away. I thanked her and tried to look glad. When I come home, I find my room crammed full of the things I was going to leave on the curb and... The straw we spit up. I pick off molted cicada skin, just barely hanging on to the ends of the straw. The song shed us and ran off. I had to survive. I crush the emptied body with my fingers. Gazing down at the scene, the song does what songs do.
Caravan. Lasting glances of suppertime magic with a bottle of green spring water. Its contents flow from a short glass, drips off a white beard, some beads reflecting from the side of a cloth napkin. Can you hear the magnificent caravan of a simple man and his dreams? I had a dream, a dream about you, baby. It's gonna come true, baby. They think that we're through, but baby, you'll be swift, you'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here, starting now, honey. Take a bow, honey, everything's coming up roses. Now's your inning, stand the world on its ear. it spinning, that'll be just the beginning. Curtain up, light the lights, we've got nothing to hit. You'll be swell, you'll be great I can tell, just you wait That lucky star I talk about is due Oh, everything's coming up Roses for me and for you Episode 515 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. 
with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Jerry Geddes, Harper's Magazine, the Denver Fire Department, Poet Lim Sola, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Lou Reed, Reeve Carney, Liz Fair, Brentford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.